said. Amen. Hey. Just going to hold my nephew here for just a minute. This is Eric. For those of you that don't know him and those that you do, we've been praying for him for a long time to be able to sing and use his voice. Hey, youth, you're dismissed back there. Sorry about that. I know you guys are back there for him. Uh, ready? But, you know, church, as we go through things in life and we, God's blessed us to have incredible doctors, hospitals, caregivers in this place, God chooses to use miracles and he chooses to use humanity. But either way, God's doing a work. And we're so grateful that God allowed Eric to sing again and to have his voice back. <laughs> Very proud of this young man. I love you. Praying for you too, man, every day. Asking God for that. We love it. Thank you, guys. And thank you for your faithful prayers. God's amazing, isn't he? He's so good. Whatever God chooses to do. And, I, and as I was speaking with Eric through the process of him not being able to speak and talk and sing or any of that stuff, it's like, you know, God loves you just the same. <laughs> God doesn't love us for our performance or how we do things in front of people. He loves us. He's so amazing. And I said, Eric, you can worship God whether you ever can use your voice again or not. You need to worship him in your heart and your spirit. And some of you all know that you don't have a voice to worship God with. But he loves you, and he loves your voice. He does. <laughs> Doesn't matter what it sounds like to your neighbor. Don't worry about them. You just sing out to the Lord. He loves it. I'm serious. I love hearing you all singing. When you guys out, uh, you know, out volume our worship team, and I can hear you singing, man, it just blesses my heart. So I'm fierce. I love it. I love to hear those anthems of praise singing to the Lord and celebrating who he is. He's such an incredible God. Did you spend some time in his word this week, at least five days, five minutes in this past week doing that, listening to it, read it. If you did, say yes. yes. Did you spend some time alone with God this week with no agenda? Yes. How about with an agenda? Yes. Okay. Do you know what the Holy Spirit is saying to you? Yes. Great. Are you giving as God has asked you to give in your time, talents, and resources? Did you share Jesus with someone this week? Yes. Invite someone to church today? Yes. You guys are awesome. We're praying for those names over there, aren't we? Yes. Yeah. Village of Oak Creek, they're praying over the names that are hanging over their cross there in the campus. Gospel Rescue Mission, those of you that are down there right now, we have your cloth right over there with ours on the cross. And we're praying over those names and asking God to move in their lives and use us to do it. Remember that, church. It's not just inviting people to church. It's inviting people to know Jesus as their Savior. And then let them know where the body of Christ assembles called Christian Faith Fellowship. And we want this place busting at the seams for Jesus. Not like, yeah, it's amazing. I want you to know I'm not a, there's no bonuses in this for me. I mean, I'm not looking to try and have anything. I want to see people come to Jesus. Do you believe that it's not too late for Tucson? This was a place that was always pagan, you know that, right, about your city. It's never been a Christian community or city, never. It's a pagan city with pagan gods, false beliefs, and it's never been a place where it's all about Jesus. And I believe that God put us here for the reason of changing that. It's not too late. It's not. I don't, I don't care what the naysayers are saying. I don't care what the, mm, uh, the other people are saying. I'm just going to leave them alone. <laughs> Let's see what God says to us. See, it's not too late. It's not too late. And I'm just believing God for something as we move forward as a church, walking with him. So I want us to look in some history today, biblical history. Now, for some of you that are maybe in-depth studiers of history and stuff, and some of you that maybe don't like history, I love history. And there's a lot to teach us, and the Bible is history. Old Testament and New Testament is our history. But as you look into the Old Testament, see, a lot of people who are intellectuals, they'll debate times and dates and things based on other writings. But don't forget this. There was no internet then. There wasn't a way for people to communicate immediately when things were happening. So when something happened to this part of the world, it took a while for it to happen over here or to find out about it. And so historians maybe wrote about things at a different time than they took place. But they took place right when God said so. And so as we look in history, those that are true historians, recognizing the validity of the Bible and the Word of God, they look to places that the Bible pinpoints. 
So I want you to know that just recently, right outside the city of Jerusalem in Israel, which is the city of David, which is the city of God, Jerusalem itself, it is that place as they were doing archaeological digs, and I love that kind of stuff, they found evidence of the destruction of the walls of Jerusalem dated to the time of King Nebuchadnezzar and what the Bible says that King Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed the place, right? So, I mean, there's people that want to argue about the Bible and things, but I'm telling you, like, all you have to do is look at the truth of the Bible. The Bible hides nothing. It says everything right up front. The heroes are seen for who they are, that they were once broken or they made really dumb decisions in their life and sinned against God and then repented, or some of them didn't repent and God judged them. I mean, if it was a human book, we always like happy endings. We would have never done that. We wouldn't have shown that because our heroes, we don't want them to make them look bad. And so now as we look into the Word of God and we look at some history, we are going to touch on that fact of what happened to the capital city of Jerusalem and what took place and what all that was going on in that day. Now, you may think there's no relevance to this and you don't care. You need to care and you need to pay attention. And I'm not just trying to bait you into what I'm saying. I don't care if you listen to my voice. Listen to what God is saying because there is something so critical to us, especially in this time in which we live. We live in the greatest time in history. We do. I'm blessed right now and excited to be right here right now. I don't long for the olden days, whatever those were. I'm grateful for today and where I am and what God is doing and what God has planned because he's in control of everything. Church, it's not the enemy, it's not the world, it's not any political party, it's not those people that meet in the summits over there about the fight. They think they control the world. God controls the world. He's letting those little peons play around with themselves and act like they're somebody's, but God's in control and he's God. Don't allow that stuff to intimidate you. I know that people monitor the internet. Please don't think I'm some kind of like a not that's like all about conspiracy theories. I'm not. I know there's a conspiracy. It's the enemy, the devil, hates God, and he wants to destroy everything that has anything to do with God. That's the true conspiracy, and it's true. It's not like a theory. It's biblical evidence, and it is factual. But I also know that, you know, that there is an attempt in our nation to try and quiet certain words that are spoken and not allow certain messages to go out. And we are broadcasting live on the internet, and we may not be in anybody or nobody in this place, and most people don't know my name and never will. Don't care. I do know this. My God reigns. He is the God and the one and only. And there is one Savior, and it's Jesus Christ. And anyone that doesn't want to accept that is going to go to hell, and it will be me that's celebrating in heaven with my God, and they will be in utter despair forever. And I'm not making light of that at all. It's the truth of God's word. Now, as we look back in history and we see this, the nation of Israel had split. There was a division that took place, and it was part of the judgment of God. And as you look back there, you'll find that the northern kingdoms, Israel, separated from the southern kingdom, Judah. And Judah had the capital city of Jerusalem and the temple, and they were of the lineage of David, the messianic line. That was the promise to Abraham through David to bring us Jesus. And so as you look at all that stuff going on, now let's step into this moment where we see Jeremiah the prophet. He was called to speak God's message in his youth. And God said, I planned for this when you were being formed in your mother's womb. Now it's important for us to get this church, really. I mean, we're going to read several places in scripture and those that were putting my notes in were probably thinking we're going to be here till lunch, but it's a lot of verses. It's not a lot of notes. So you just relax. We were out early last week. Um, so these are the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests from the town of Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. The Lord first gave messages to Jeremiah during the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. The Lord's messages continued throughout the reign of King Jehoiakim, Josiah's son, until the 11th year of the reign of King Zedekiah, another of Josiah's sons. In August of that 11th year, the people of Jerusalem were taken away as captives. The Lord gave me this message. 
I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. I'm going to pause here. There's this tragedy in our nation that we are going to be held accountable for as a nation called abortion. Life begins at conception, and God is the giver of life, and it is a miracle. And we in the church need to understand this is not something that we can just push to the side and ignore that's happening. It's happening, and God is not okay with it. Now, church, that doesn't mean that someone that's had an abortion is unforgivable and all that. No, not at all. On the contrary, I want you to know that God is a forgiving, healing God, and he loves you. Okay? Yeah. But, church, we need to understand this. See, I, I look at this, and, I, and I, I don't want to get off here, but listen, do you know how many millions of babies have been killed in our nation? And just think of all that they were intended to do by the glory of God. God had a plan for every one of those lives. And humanity said, nope, you don't matter. You're a hindrance to me, and they eliminated them. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart, and I appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Jeremiah had a choice here, you know. That was God's call in his life. You have a call in your life, and you have a choice to make. Oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. Everybody has an excuse, don't we? The Lord replied, don't say I'm too young, for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Then the Lord reached out and touched my mouth and said, look, I have put my words in your mouth today. I appoint you to stand up against nations and kingdoms. Isn't that awesome? We're talking to a little boy here. And God said, I've appointed you to stand up against nations and kingdoms. Don't think you don't have the words or the power or the ability for God to do amazing things through you, church. Look at what he's telling him. I know you're just a boy, but it's me that's doing it. Right? Don't forget that, church. This is the thing that God's saying to Jeremiah. Today I appoint you to stand up against nations and kingdoms. Some you must uproot and tear down and destroy and overthrow. Others you must build up and plant. Wow. We're talking about one boy. And he's talking about tearing down nations and building up nations. And God's saying, I've given you the power and the ability for this to happen. All right. Church, like, we need to just pause for a second and understand something. Some crazy things are going on here. And God has given us a timeline in his word. Do you notice in the very opening how he was so specific about when the messages first started coming and the reign of that king that he was serving under? And that they went through this king and this king and up till this very moment and in August of this very year? I mean, God's awesome. He's like, look, I want you all to know something, that God's the one that's in charge of stuff, and he's the one that made these things happen. And so when we look into the word of God and I see this, it's like, whoa, God, you're so amazing that you gave us this timeline. We know also that Jeremiah was part of a priestly family. He was part of a God's family of ordained ministers. But he was called to be a prophet of God and speak God's message outside of that priestly office. Listen to what's happening there. See, he was also culturally too young. See, that's why when we look into the history and the scriptures and we know like Jesus didn't start his ministry life until around that 30th age bracket because that's when men were considered to have enough life experience and wisdom to have a voice. So here's Jeremiah as just a boy, in other words, he was not to the age to be accepted by culture. And as we look at this, listen, church, I want you to hear this because it's so amazing. God does not bow to traditions. <laughs> church traditions, cultural traditions, national traditions, he doesn't bow to anything. And he doesn't care about that. And so I'm telling you that because, church, don't think your kids are too young to hear from God. If they can hear from you, they can hear from God. 
Don't think that God can't use them. Don't put them aside. Don't give them something else to do. <clears throat> okay, so God doesn't bow to any ideas of humanity. He establishes things and makes things what they are. And so he was like, now you're going to talk. So get out there and start speaking, and I'm going to use you in front of kings and kingdoms and nations to do what I say. Now, Jeremiah's calling was to stand up and begin to proclaim God's word against the kings of his own nation, the religious leaders of the church of his nation. <laughs> All right, now, remember this. This is a boy. Many Bible historians think he was 17. I have no idea why they think that. Don't care. I don't care if he was 5, 15, 17, or whatever. Don't care. What I do see is this, that he spoke God's message so profoundly that he caused a stir in the nation. <laughs> Who stirred it? God. When God's in something and he's up to something, he will stir the nation. And so God is speaking here. And Jeremiah's call was to speak and call out the leaders of his nation as well as the church leaders of his church nation. And that nation followed one church. <sighs> Obviously, his message was not warmly received. <laughs> I mean, the king wasn't like, hey, bring that boy in here and let him shed some light on my life. No, it was just the opposite. The church leaders did not want Jeremiah's message. The king didn't want to hear Jeremiah's message. The people didn't want to hear Jeremiah's message. But they were God's word, and God's word is truth. And so when Jeremiah was telling the nation, God's judgment's coming, it's going to fall. And this nation is going to be under siege. King Nebuchadnezzar, and he named him. The Chaldean army is going to come. And they're going to lay siege to this city. And God's judgment's coming. Well, you know, when someone identifies the enemy and is giving their message, they're seen as a, uh, you know, not really a, a national hero, but a traitor. And so as we're looking at this, you know, all happening... He was seen as a traitor, a traitor to his nation, a traitor to the leaders of his nation and the people. <laughs> Other prophets were speaking a contrary message. There's always false prophets. And the false prophets were giving messages of peace and prosperity. Everything's fine. Let's just go along with our cultural norms and everything will work out itself. Did you hear me, church? That's what their message was. 19 years after he began prophesying, Jerusalem was indeed seized by King Nebuchadnezzar and the Chaldean army. 19 years later. <laughs> I want you to get that because you see this young boy is beginning to tell people this is going to happen. But for 19 years it hadn't happened. But God's good to his word. There was no repentance in the nation. And so King Nebuchadnezzar leads the Chaldean army, surrounds the city of Jerusalem, lays siege to it, cuts off the food, cuts everything off until they surrender. They surrender. And so King Nebuchadnezzar comes in and takes the cream of the crop and the young people, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all taken. This is where they go if you're looking in your history of the Bible, taken back to Babylon. This siege upon the city was in 604-605 B.C., we know this based upon all the kings, the reigns, and the dates that are given by Jeremiah. <laughs> now, you would think all the people right here would be like, whoa, God, I heard that. They're left there in the city. They're still like the, if you will, the better lower class were left in that place. And now the message comes forth to them, and they reject the message again. They feel secure because they were left. All the bad people were taken. We're good. Obviously, God loves us because we're still here. The messages of the prophets are telling them this is just a small little thing, a little blip in the road, and everything is going to be fine. 
Jeremiah steps up and says, hey, y'all, this captivity is going to be 70 years. And there's going to be an utter destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. Well, I mean, everybody's real, again, plotting his message and saying, thank you for those amazing words of comfort and grace you're giving, Jeremiah. Everybody loves you. No. He said, it's not going to be short term. God is going to set you aside for 70 years. And he is going to come in and wipe out the city and the temple. See, they always thought the temple was their little rabbit's foot, that there was the security, that it was God's house. His name was there. He would never let it get destroyed. But God said, if you remember when Solomon built it, and we read his prayer, and when God answered, he said, hey, I want you to know, once you guys turn your back on me, you don't do what I say, I'm coming against you. And so God's saying, I'm going to destroy this place, and I will uproot and destroy that temple that was made in my name. Well, remember that was 604, 605 when that first captivity took place. So there's a ton of upheaval that happens culturally, politically, and spiritually in the nation. There's unrest in the leadership of the nation. There's all kinds of stuff going on. Jeremiah warns them, it's coming the destruction, the utter destruction is coming. He's seen as a traitor. He's put in prison. Again, false prophets are giving false messages of security, prosperity, and that everything is going to be fine. Jeremiah is locked up, seen as a traitor, because he was speaking the message that supported the enemy. 586-87 B.C., here comes King Nebuchadnezzar because of the political unrest that happened, the rebellion that was happening in the city. He comes back with his armies, and this time he attacks the city and utterly destroys it, annihilates people, destroys the temple. It's those remains that have been just recently dug up in the archaeological digs outside of the city of Jerusalem. An actual fact that he burned down places and destroyed the city completely. Because we have kings and dates, and now as we look in these archaeological digs, we know all these things that have been happening. And up to this point, we've covered approximately 37 years of, of uh, Jeremiah's ministry life. Before we go any further, it's so important, church, that we understand that God's good to his word. Good, bad, or indifferent, God's good to his word. And I mean good, bad, or indifferent to us. It's all good with God. He's going to do what he says. We need to heed his warnings. Church, we, his people, need to heed his warnings and get our lives in line with what he says. Christianity is not a game. It's not a punch the, the little clock thing on Sundays. Christianity is not just going to church or being spiritual. It's about a life that is following Jesus Christ as a disciple of Christ, being transformed from the sinful person we used to be into the new creation and the power of God. This is not a game, and the church needs to wake up. The church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America is asleep, by and large. And we're just watching everything go around us, and many are just saying, hey, it's the way it's going to be. It's the end times. No, church. This is a day that God has allowed us to live and breathe and worship and gather because God desires those people that we're like, well, it's too late. He wants to save them. And the church is just kind of lulling through. <clears throat> Another popular message, I know. Let's see what's going on here. So Jeremiah, the prophet, wrote obviously the book of Jeremiah, but he also wrote another book that follows it, and it's the book of Lamentations. If you know those words, lamenting, you know what that means. It's the heartbreaking prayers. It's the, it's the crying out. It's the hurtful, <laughs> grieving. And so Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. Why is he known for that? Because his messages weren't cheerful. They weren't celebratory. They were like, look out, it's coming. Yeah. And Jeremiah himself struggled with his own message because he saw that King Nebuchadnezzar was a heathen and he was leading a pagan country and they were going to come in and destroy God's house. And Jeremiah struggled with that. Like, God, how can that be that you would use that wicked person to destroy your house? God's like, don't worry about it. I got a plan. 
you know that Nebuchadnezzar would come to faith in God himself as a result of this? I mean, is God amazing or what? He brings Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach over there, and he reveals himself through a dream, and Daniel speaks the word of truth to King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar ends up down the road in his life, repenting and calling out to God himself. God's amazing, man. God cares about souls. He cares about nations. Don't misunderstand me, but he didn't die to save nations. He died to save souls. And so whatever he needs to do to reach people, God's going to do it. And we need to wake up to that. Let's go to the book of Lamentations. The weeping prophet. (laughs) So the vast majority of his messages were about judgment and sorrow. And he's still human. He has feelings. We're not inhuman because we're saved. The effects of the things in the world around us affect us. We deal with stuff. And he had to deal with some really hard stuff in his own life as a result of being the man of God and preaching the word of God. God was always faithful to him, as he promised. God was with him. But Jeremiah had to go through some hard stuff. Now, as we go into his prayer, in Lamentations chapter 3, we're going to get a glimpse of his struggle. And so I want to read this to us, church. It's important that we just hear the heart of this guy. I am the one who has seen the afflictions that come from the rod of the Lord's anger. He's led me in the darkness, shutting out all light. He has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and flesh grow old. He's broken my bones. He has besieged and surrounded me with anguish and distress. He has buried me in a dark place like those long dead. He has walled me in, and I cannot escape. He has bound me in heavy chains. And though I cry and shout, he has shut out my prayers. He has blocked my way with a high stone wall. He has made my road crooked. He has hidden like a bear or a lion waiting to attack me. He has dragged me off the path and torn me in pieces, leaving me helpless and devastated. He has drawn his bow and made me the target of his arrows. He has shot the arrows deep into my heart. My own people laugh at me. All day long, they sing their mocking songs. He's filled me with bitterness and given me a bitter cup of sorrow to drink. He's made me chew on gravel. He has rolled me in dust. Peace has been stripped away, and I've forgotten what prosperity is. I cry out. My splendor is gone. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. We're talking about the man of God here, remember? We're talking about Jeremiah, who has been faithful in speaking God's word. We're talking about the fact that Jeremiah had to deal with the same issues the people had to deal with, and then some. Not only was he dealing with the siege of the enemy against them, but he was also dealing with the siege of the people within his nation against him. He feels utterly lost because of all the brokenness and the defeat that's happening everywhere he looks. And it's a result of God and God's message through him, and he knows it. But listen, church, I want you to know this. You see, the fact of the matter is everything that was happening was affecting him and his life. It was happening to him. And he knew it was from the Lord. So in his cries, he's not like blaming God. He's saying, I am feeling it and knowing it's God. He had the knowledge to know absolutely this is from God. Now, as we consider that and step back for a minute, here it is, all because of God's call in his life, <laughs> speaking out against the kings and the nations a lot easier if he could have just blended in the crowd and just kind of did his thing. No, God says, I want you to stand out for a reason. You're going to go through some stuff, yep, but I'm going to be with you. People need to hear this message. And the fact of the matter, it was their lack of obedience from the king to the church, to the common people of the streets. Their lack of surrender to God and their lack of obedience to him was the result of this judgment of God happening. Church, we live in a world that is sin-stained and covered. And as a result of the sin that humanity has brought upon this planet, 
we suffer afflictions just like the world does, even as Christians. We're going to go through stuff. We're going to have to face things. This is, let me think if I should say this. I want to say this the right way. This, the reality of what I see in Scripture and, and people of God is why I have, uh, even though I was raised in a church that taught a pre-tribulation rapture, I no longer believe that. I don't. I don't care if you do, and I'm not going to debate it with you. I don't care. You can do whatever you want, and I'm just praying it doesn't happen in my lifetime. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean that in a good way, but I'm just saying I don't believe that because I see God's people going through all kinds of garbage all the time in the Bible. I don't know why we think we're special, and he's just going to kind of jerk us out of here just because. But anyway, that's whatever. I do believe something's going to happen, some type of a rapture. Don't get, misunderstand me. I know God's word. Let's not get lost there. Let's keep moving. We live in a world that is sin-stained, and as a result, it affects us. The ungodly leaders that are in it, and the, the absolute rejection of God, period. Church, can we, like, as a church, please stop looking at the surface things that are going on around us and look deeper? Can we look deeper and understand that there is a spiritual battle raging for the soul of this nation? And it is about the enemy and it is about Jesus Christ. And the truth of the matter is when everything boils down, I want you to know the target of everything that's happening out here is going to be the Christian church. It will be the Christian church. And the reason is because we will stand with God and we will stand opposed to those who do not say yes to him. And therefore, we are the enemy. And I hope you recognize that and realize that. Church, come on, man. Now, as I read Jeremiah's message and his prayer and his cry right here, if that was the end of it, I'd be like, whoa, dude, you are messed up. It's not the end. Thank God it's not the end. We're going to keep reading. It's because at the end of it, I would be like worried about him and wondering where he's at. But no, listen, we're going to continue reading right where we were into the next phrase, which I stopped on purpose. Listen to this. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. <laughs> That's heavy. Yet, I still dare to hope when I remember this. <laughs> the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for the salvation from the Lord. And it is good for people to submit at an early age to the yoke of his discipline. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, isn't that awesome? I mean, man, I look at that, I'm like, man, God, it's so cool. You know how a lot of times, like, his mercies are new every morning. You've seen that one on, on little things and all that, but nobody ever does that first part on a devotional or a little meme thing that you want to send to your friends. Like, hey, man, I'm going through a hard time. Life sucks. It's difficult. It's hard. It's hurting. I'm broken. I'm grieving. These are the worst times in my life. We would never send that to someone and say, hey, I hope you have a great day. But we will send that his mercies are new every morning, which I'm glad. I want you to hear me, right? But do you understand that this whole thing applies? Jeremiah's like, I will never forget this moment. This is the hardest time in my life. But I do know <laughs> my hope is in God. Not in these circumstances, not in what's happening around me, not in the way that I feel today, not in the things that I am being afflicted with. My hope is in God, and I know it. And he tells us something very critical there, church. He's like, it's good for us to just be quiet. Whoa. Man, we talk a lot. And I mean, we talk to God a lot. And when we talk to God, it's usually just telling him what needs to change, what he needs to do, and how he needs things to be different. And just the thought, maybe they're not different because he's trying to get our attention. Maybe he's trying to get us to quiet down and listen. To understand that life is more than my comfort. See, 
Jeremiah had lost everything, right? He said so. But if you listen to his words, what he said was, I realize that, God, you are my inheritance. Oh, that's pretty big for someone, yeah, of his descent. See, everything about the, the Hebrew descent was about their inheritance, their land, the gift God gave them about what they had, where they were, their place in the family. It was all that stuff. And he was like, whoa, I've lost all that. But I know who my inheritance is, and it's you. See, it's the reality of life itself. So as we live in this world of sin, a world and a nation that has rejected God for who he is, we're going to go through some things. If there is not a move of God, church, there is going to be some difficulties that come that you and I are going to have to go through. We're going to have to face it. You know why? Because the church of Jesus Christ has been dead so long and so self-caught up. And we've been so messed up in not sharing the gospel with lost people and not wanting to offend people and not wanting to get into those circles and trying to accommodate everybody's life instead of calling them out and telling them they need to repent and come to Jesus that we're going to have to go through some stuff until we in the church understand who God is and the discipline that he puts upon us because of the life that we have not lived and the things that we have not done. Now, I want you to know he loves you, and I love you, and I'm not saying this to be mean or hurtful. I want us to wake up, church. God is giving us an opportunity. I am stirred inside my soul this month. Like, I feel all twisted up inside. I mean, it. as I look at what God has asked us to do, we've written names on a cloth, and I believe with all my heart it was God. And I'm saying like, Lord, we've got to understand the seriousness of the fact that we are called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with lost people. And if we in the church don't wake up, especially right here in CFF, I mean, the spirit of God is so faithful and he's moving in us, church. He's here every week. And I know that he is. I'm going to say, but here, even though I don't want to. But if we don't take that and do something with it outside the church, we're never going to realize what God wanted to do. I've seen it happen in my life. The only reason I'm here, right here as your pastor, is because there was a group of people in Michigan that wouldn't do what God wanted them to do. I know that for a fact. Church, I want you to hear me. God's amazing. He's a redeemer. He wants, you know, we've been going through this the last few weeks. His desire is for people to repent. He allows things to happen to wake us up. <sighs> All right, so here it is. He, we look at Jeremiah, harsh, things that cause grief, loss. And we're reminded right here in that passage of what he says, yet... I still dare to hope. <laughs> the faithful love of the Lord never ends in his mercies. Oh my God, thank you, Lord, are never ceasing. He is so incredible that he does this, that he reaches out to us right there. Great is his faithfulness. Man, it happens every morning that he brings this to us, right? He is our hope. He's our inheritance. He's everything, church. Everything. He's not a side note. He's everything. Jeremiah realized it wasn't about property. It wasn't about position. <laughs> it wasn't about personal comfort. It wasn't about him at all. <laughs> it was not about Jeremiah. It was all about God. And see, when Jeremiah realized that, it's like, well, it's so much more than just me. It's about you and what is happening. And I'm being rejected, but it's not me that's being rejected. It's you that's being rejected. His whole life revolved around who God was and what God said. His entire life did. Now we're going to look over in 2 Peter chapter 3 at some end time scripture for us. And... As we do, church, we're, we're wanting to look at this and see the historical truth and relevance of what God's message was to this historical relevance and what God's message is, because this history is future. And here's what it says. The day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. By the way, we've read some of this in the last couple of weeks. I know that. Stay with me. 
But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives we should live. Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we're looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with wisdom God gave him. Speaking of these things in all of his letters... Some of his comments are hard to understand, and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of Scripture, and this will result in their destruction. You already know these things, dear friends, so be on guard. Then you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. You already know these things. Dear friends, so be on guard. Then you'll not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Yeah. He's like, man, we got to wake up. We've got to see where we are, where we've been called, and what we are to do. We're told over and over again to put God first. Don't allow your personal life challenges to get you off the most important thing in your life. That's your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Don't let yourself be distracted with the garbage going on around you where you allow that to rob you of what you know about Jesus, who God is, and what he's doing. Stop allowing ourselves to be distracted and taken off course. There is nothing more important in your life than your relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing. Nobody. Your spouse, your kids, your friends, your relatives, your job, nothing is more important than your relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing. The Word of God warns us. He tells us, like, be on your guard. Wake up. Know the truth you should know when you see false teaching. Not be deceived by it. Don't fall to it. You should know it's all about Jesus. If it's about anything other than Jesus, then it's a false teaching and you need to get away. We're also told don't get caught up in wrong stuff, right? Hear me right when I say this. Don't get caught up in end time stuff. Seriously. I mean, I'm like, I'm not telling you ignore the end time stuff, but I'm saying please don't make it the focus of your life. Please don't. Make Jesus the focus of your life and let him unfold the end times as he sees fit. Okay, we don't have to understand everything. You're not going to. Nobody understood it when Jesus came the first time. It only makes sense to us because we see it through that lens. I'm telling you, like, it's it's all about lost people. It's not about figuring things out. We don't have to figure it out. God has it all figured out. And so we can get ourselves distracted by stuff that's even good stuff, spiritual stuff. But if we're distracted from the main thing, and the main thing is what? My relationship with Jesus and sharing him with other people that are lost. That is the main thing, period. (laughs) All right. So, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff out there that we can get distracted with. But you see what we're reading here in Peter? He's like, don't get distracted. Be on your guard. (sighs) See, we're supposed to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. If we would put the efforts we do in all the other stuff into knowing Jesus more, I believe there would be transformation that would happen in the church that will impact culture and change cities. That's what it's all about. See, it tells us to right here in the Word of God, focus on that and then let God do His thing. There's nothing more important than growing in that relationship with Jesus Christ. And yet knowing this, we all know this, right? I mean, we've, the verses are everywhere. But even when we know this, we still spend very little time in the most critical area of our life, and that's growing in our knowledge and our understanding of our relationship with Jesus Christ. 
I mean, I'm not asking for a time schedule. Please understand that. We have families. We have a job. God knows all that stuff. That's not, I'm not looking for a mathematical equation of time spent somewhere. Church, what we're asking and what God's saying to us is where is the effort we're making about knowing Jesus more in our life? We ask those accountability questions at the beginning, not to just simply ask Christian stuff, but like, is this relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ real enough to be impacting my life every day outside of the church, not just on Sunday morning? And see, so as we're looking at this, the the truth of the matter, I could give you tons of statistics. I don't care about the statistics. I care about what's happening in the church to Christian people. I told you last week, my biggest burden is church Christians because church, like, even in the Christian community, God is just part of our life. He's not the center. He's just part, and God can't be just part. He has got to be the center of our lives, the basis of our decisions, the basis of our relationships. Everything we do needs to revolve around him. Not inviting him into what we're doing, us doing it his way. And that's what it's all about. And unless that transformation happens, bad things are coming. <laughs> Let's do the action steps. What are you doing currently in your life to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ? What are you doing? Like, church, seriously, like, if you look at yourself and you look through your week, what are you doing? in your own life, to grow in the knowledge and the grace of Jesus Christ. Do you know that what you believe is biblically accurate? (laughs) I mean, I'll tell you right now, I know this for a fact. Very, very, very few Christian people understand death. (laughs) We don't. I hear people all the time saying like, oh, I know grandma's looking down at me. No, she's not. (laughs) She's not. I want you to know she's not looking. I don't mean that disrespectfully. But you know, like, oh, God needed another angel in heaven. No, he didn't. Angels are a separate creation that God made. We're not becoming angels. We are who we are, and we're going to be redeemed and given a new body to be the human beings that God intended for us to be in the very beginning with the glorified body of Christ. See, if we know what God's word says, we'll understand things. We're going to be known as we're known when we're there. God's calling us, church. See, this... This is what disturbs me is like we've, we've been taught things. I was taught things that were wrong. And I was raised in a Christian church. My father was the pastor. Like I was told things. And as I began to read scripture, I'm like, whoa, that was totally taken out of context. I don't even know what God's saying right there, but it became a doctrine of the church. And people believed it and would change their life to be accepted by the church. It's like, what does God say? Do we even know what we believe biblically? Are we grounded upon the word of God in truth? Do we know what God has called us into? Do we understand that salvation isn't just a ticket to heaven? It's life transformation, that the power of God comes to live inside of us to live a different life. God's word teaches that. (laughs) Church is the next one. I didn't mean to get off on that, but listen This is the next um, action step here. Do you understand that whatever you're going through is not based on God's love or lack of love for you? (laughs) You may be going through the hardest time of your life, and it may be the result of God's love for you. I'm not talking about your own sinful choices. That's not God's love for you. That's your own stupidity. But I'm saying if you're following Jesus Christ and you're going through the hardest time in your life, it's not because God doesn't love you. He loves you. He loves you. That has nothing to do with it. You're just going to go through stuff because it happens here. We live in a sin-stained world that can and will affect our lives as well. Choices that we make can affect us. But when we're walking with Jesus in the Spirit and we're doing what he's asking us to do, we're still going to have stuff affect us. It's going to (laughs) happen. Do we trust him? Do you love him anyway? Can you speak with Jeremiah yet? My hope (laughs) is in him.
right in the midst of the hardest time of your life. Can you say that? That's what it's all about. See, that's living our Christian faith. People are watching. They are. They see what's going on in your life. They know what you're doing. They're watching your response. All of it matters. Church, the altar's open. Would you stand with me? Yeah. Holy Spirit, we completely trust you in this moment to speak as only you can speak. Move upon our hearts, God. In all of this, it's not too late. <laughs> it's not. Our amazing, redeeming God is ready to move, desiring transformation. And God, that's what we're asking for today. God, we're asking for transformation, for a move of God, for the Holy Spirit to sweep in, to stir our hearts, to stir the lost, for us to be bold in our faith, for a move of God to happen, for redemption to just wash over the city of Tucson and spread, God. <laughs> Starts with us, Lord. We are here for you. God, thank you. Thank you, church. God bless you today. Thank you so much for being here. For those of you that are at the altar, please stay. Know that God loves you. He's talking to you. I'm so grateful. I'm so proud of you. Listen to him. Those of you online, those in the house, listen. God bless you today. You're dismissed. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Jesus.